Okay, good evening there, sloggy kiddos. It has been a while since we have read, and we have one more Chuck Black book to finish in the Kingdom series. So, let's do it. Book six is called Kingdom's Reign, R-E-I-G-N. I'm going to go ahead and read the prologue to you again because I was super tired when I read it to you. When I was at home, and uh, I'm not sure how much everybody else picked up on it, so we'll just start from the beginning of Kingdom's Reign with a prologue. The prologue is entitled, Evil's Battle. Before me lies the grand city of Chessington. I have been away for a number of years, and I do not return to a city of joy but to one of great apprehension. You see, I am one of thousands here, all ready for battle, the battle of the ages. My name is Cedric. Through the tales of the gallant knights, such as Sir Leonid and Sir Gavanaugh, and through the tales of my own life, I have shared with you the story of the people of Erethrae, our kingdom. Few are as fortunate as you and I, for most have not let the history of our land or the promise of our future penetrate their hearts with true understanding. It is not by any measure of witty writing that my story will move your heart, but by the sheer truth of the mercy of a king and the sacrifice of his son. It will change you for its hearing. Leonad saw the birth of our kingdom and the promise of a deliverer. Unfortunately, he also saw the waning of belief in this hope. I, Cedric of Chessington, saw the fulfillment of the promise Leonad awaited. It came from across the great sea in the form of a man. Not just any man, but the prince himself. He came dressed in the rags of a peasant and taught of his father, the king. Many believed him, but most did not. I saw the fire in his eyes, the mercy in his acts, the love in his heart, and the power in his words. He trained me and the other knights of the prince in the art of the sword. The prince was a master swordsman, and we became an extension of his mighty arm. He taught that without belief in the code, the sword was meaningless and even detrimental to the kingdom, for it was the code that brought allegiance to the king and compassion for our fellow man. My time with the prince was precious, albeit short-lived. Those in power considered him a threat, a threat to be silenced, and so they killed him.
the prince died for me, for you, for us all. My grief was deep and my sorrow without measure. But then, through the majestic power of the king, the prince arose and lives again. Yes, he lives again. I must say it twice, lest I question the believability of my own memory. For that day shook the very foundation of the kingdom, and will bring its enemy, the dark night, to his knees once and for all. The prince left us and returned to his father across the great sea. We did not want him to go, but it was his way. He came to prepare us for our mission in the kingdom, which was to tell others about him and train them for the ultimate battle to come. Those years he was away seemed long and without end, but every day we rose to fill the kingdom with the good news of the prince and his love for the people of Arethre. His life and his teachings possessed the power to change the very hearts of men, even mighty men such as Sir Gavanaugh, who was at one time a fierce enemy of the prince and his followers. During these waiting years, we traveled to the far reaches of the kingdom, endured many hardships, and saw strange happenings of all sorts. But those tales are for another day. Eventually, the prince came back for us, for all the knights of the prince, and for those who were loyal to him. He took us across the great sea to be with him and the king. It was a reprieve from the persecution that was mounting in the end days, but it was not the end of our mission as his knights. It was the beginning of a new mission. It is on that voyage home to the kingdom across the sea that my story resumes. Upon my steed, as we await the massive evil force that comes to destroy our beloved city, there is a final moment to reflect back on my away years. Years that bring understanding to this impending battle. I remember the night that Keef, a mighty silent warrior, awakened me from a deep sleep to board the ships that would take us home. The prince came to gather his people and take us across the great sea to be with the king. My encounter with the prince was by far the most life-changing event I have ever experienced. Seeing him alive again after witnessing his death was the most kingdom-shaking event I have ever experienced. But perhaps the strangest moment in my life was when I encountered an old friend. Chapter 1 The Journey Home I left the prince's embrace to board one of the many ships that waited to take us across the great sea. For a time, my mission in Arethre was complete. I had yearned to reunite with the one who gave me purpose in life. I had worked to serve him with honor and faithfulness while he was away. And he gave me the words I craved. Well done, Cedric. Well done. Like a man arriving home after a long journey, I found rest in his words 
and in his embrace. The prince first came to Erythrae to save the kingdom and change the hearts of the people. There is no other like him, no other who is worthy of the loyal service of all. The son of the king came as a peasant and served us before we could serve him. His nature is pure and his heart compassionate. His words are wise and his vision sure. I will follow him to death if need be. But I know in my heart of hearts that he will lead us only to life. The road has not and will not be easy. But I will follow, for he is great and his plans are grand. The ships we boarded were gallant, three-masted vessels with a full rigging of sails that beckoned the wind from a dozen seas to carry them into their waters. They were sturdy, yet built for speed. The main deck of each ship was over thirty paces from stem to stern, with a quarter deck and a half deck above. A lower deck provided space for supplies and for most of the passengers. All of the ship's crews were comprised of silent warriors who were very experienced seamen. Conversation with the crew was limited, for they assumed their duties on board with the utmost diligence. On the main deck of my ship, I searched the faces of my many companions. I looked for William, my lifelong friend, but I discovered that he had boarded another ship, as had Rob and Barrett, commanded to be silent, for the entire kingdom was asleep and the exodus of the knights of the prince and his people was not complete. I smiled and nodded my greetings to my fellow workers who sat upon the deck. We were going home. It sounded strange, yet felt perfect, for this home was a place we had never been. But the king awaited us there. What will this great kingdom be like? I wondered. Our ship launched out into the sea, and I found a place of solitude near the bow, beneath the foresail. The wind in my face and the sound of the waves breaking on the bow took me back to a time when I was a fisherman, but before I ever knew the prince. As a wreath tray faded into the horizon, I found myself lost in thoughts of wonderment at the path my life had taken. Long after the coasts of Erethrae had disappeared, my solitude was interrupted by a solid voice behind me. Sir, I'm sorry to disturb you, the young man said somewhat hesitantly, but I feel I must introduce myself. I looked up into the bright face of a handsome young man and rose to my feet. You're not disturbing me at all. I said with a smile as I offered my hand. I am Cedric of Chessington. I know who you are, sir, he said enthusiastically as he took my hand. For many years I have desired to meet you again. Then have we met before? 
Yes, when I was but a youth. I am Cullen of the United Cities of Camaria. I felt such joy to know that the words of the prince had brought people from the distant lands of Camaria to these ships this day. I recognized his accent from that region. It was unique in that it seemed to mesh the accents of all lands into one. I released Cullen's hand. Unto this day, the people of Chessington are indebted to the great land of Camaria and her people, I said. These final days in Chessington were only bearable in large part because of your people and your help against her enemies. My words to him were not flattery. Camaria was one of the last regions in the kingdom to hear the story of the prince, and I had made one of the first journeys there. They embraced the truth of the prince with eager hearts and quickly became a beacon of light for the entire kingdom. When much of the kingdom turned against Chessington, the five united cities of Camaria stood firm in their support of the king's city and his people. Supplies of food and swords were sent without request for trade. But in the final days, even Camaria began to waver as the return of the prince seemed to linger. Collins smiled at the compliment I offered and momentarily looked down in respectful humility. When he lifted his eyes to mine again, I saw the spark of life in him that only a believer had. Sir Cedric, he said, I heard your words of the prince that day many years ago, and my heart nearly burst within my chest. His eyes gleamed and his countenance radiated with enthusiasm. I can imagine the excitement with which he had shared the story of the prince with others. Cullen stood tall and confident. His build was average, but his cheekbones and chin were sharp. His hair was a common brown, but his dark eyes were not common at all. He continued, I wanted to believe your words with all my heart, but it seemed too good to be true. I gave every ounce of my being to live by the code and learn the ways of the prince. I guess I needed to prove that it would change my circumstances. It worked, but I was not prepared for the biggest cha change of all in myself. I found purpose for my life in a cause much greater than any selfish venture I thought I desired. He smiled broadly. Thank you, Sir Cedric. Thank you. I placed my hand on his shoulder. Colin, your words have made all of my journeys worth every step. You do not need to thank me, for, as you discovered, I cannot contain the hope that was given to me. In the midst of the great sea, our homecoming was already beginning. Have you any family on board, Cullen? Yes, some, he said with a mix of emotions. I felt a bit foolish for asking the question, since the story of the prince often split family members' loyalties. 
Our voyage across the sea this day clarified the permanence that such a separation of hearts within a home caused. Cullen spoke again. My parents and my next younger sister would not accept the truth of the prince and his promise. I'm sorry. A smile crossed his lips. But glory to the king, my little sister, Keely, is here with me. It was clearly a comfort to him. Excuse me, gentlemen, does this young lady belong to either of you? The question came from a young woman who was as pretty as her voice. She was guiding a, a girl toward us who looked as though she'd been caught with her hand in the cookie jar. Cullen's smile disappeared as he looked down at the lass. What have you been up to, Keeley? I could tell in an instant that the girl was as spunky as a tree squirrel. She couldn't contain the broad grin that spread across her freckled face. It was a look of curiosity more than mischief that lit up her eyes. I just wanted to see, she said as she pointed up to the crow's nest at the top of the main mast. I'm sure she would have made it if I hadn't stopped her halfway up, replied her chaperone, a grin on her face as well. Keeley turned to the young lady. I'm sorry, miss. I'll not try it again. I found it difficult not to gaze at the woman who had brought Cullen's little sister to him. I wondered what kind of lady would climb the rope ladder to the crow's nest to apprehend a curious girl when any number of silent warrior crewmen could have taken care of the matter. She seemed to have authority of some sort on board the ship. Her attire was not of the style one might see most Erethrean ladies wear. Her blouse and trousers were loose-fitting, but were tight at the waist, ankles, and wrists. A three-quarter cape fell from her shoulders to her thighs. It was not the apparel of any I'd ever seen, but it suited her well. Her hair was long, dark brown, and tied in a single braid that fell midway down her back. Yet, it was the beautiful sword hanging at her waist that truly set her apart from most other women. She placed a friendly hand on Keeley's head. See to it, little miss, she said firmly but kindly, or the captain will have a word with you, and you won't find him nearly as forgiving. I'm sorry, said Cullen, slightly embarrassed. I'll keep a closer eye on her. He looked sternly at Keeley. <clears throat> but she didn't seem bothered by it a bit. I bent down to Keeley. Hello, Keeley. I am Cedric. She confidently held out her hand. I'm pleased to meet you, Sir Cedric. Cole says you're the best swordsman in the kingdom. I shook her head. I shook her hand. I can hold my own, Keeley, but there are many other men. And women, I added as an afterthought and stole a quick glance at the young lady standing behind the girl, that 
are as skilled with the sword as I. You mean like Talia? she asked. And who is Talia? Keeley pointed to the woman behind her. Pleased to meet you, gentlemen. Talia bowed her head slightly. I was thankful she didn't offer her hand, since I wouldn't have known whether to kiss it or shake it. I'm Cedric of Chessington, I said with a bow, and this is Colin of the United Cities of Camaria. Talia's business-like countenance did not dim her brown eyes, which sparkled with life. I imagined that a younger Talia wrestled with the same spunky spirit Keeley seemed to possess. Although the morning sun had not yet broken the horizon, I could see a noble look upon her face that was woven into every feature from her brow to her chin. She looked into my eyes without hesitation, and I was somewhat mesmerized, for I seemed to gain energy from her gaze. It was not a look of affection, but one of question and resolve. Then, for one brief instant, a nearly imperceptible look of embarrassment crossed her face. Which region of Erythrae are you from? I asked. Talia seemed to struggle to find an answer to my question and then reached for her sword. Her face became tense and her eyes seemed to gaze clean through me and into the receding darkness beyond. The light-hearted mood of our conversation quickly transformed into a moment of uncertain stress. I could tell by Talia's expression that something was wrong, and I naturally moved my hand closer to my sword. In an instant, the building anxiety exploded. Talia drew her sword and yelled, Get down! The last of her warning was cut off by the most hideous screech I have ever heard. It was of such a nature that our first reaction was to drop to the deck for cover. Talia brought a powerful upward slice to bear upon a winged creature that screamed past our heads from behind. She followed the slice by dropping to the deck herself, but her blade had found its mark. The screech of the attacking beast became the momentary wail of a mortally wounded monster. It hit the side rail of the ship with a solid thud and careened over the edge to the frothy waters below. The entire encounter happened so quickly that I scarcely got a glimpse at the creature. Its body and wings looked dark and leathery but that was all I could see in the receding darkness of the early morning dawn. Talia was immediately to her feet, shouting a warning to all passengers to get below the deck. One of the larger crewmen came toward us with a sword drawn and a concerned look on his face. Are you hurt, Lady Talia? he asked. No, Yutan, I am unharmed. She said, the large warrior seemed satisfied and hurried off. The captain ordered a trumpet blast to warn the other ships, and it spread throughout the armada rapidly.
Cullen grabbed Keeley and took her below, while I helped Talia and the crew get the remaining passengers to safety, closing the hatch behind us. I could hear an occasional screech in the distance, but nothing quite as close as our first encounter. The captain and another silent warrior remained on deck to ensure that we stayed on course. Everyone else I, everyone else, was ordered to remain below for a time. I found a place to sit near the hatch and Talia sat a few feet away, facing me. What in the kingdom was that? I asked. She paused. It was a synth. I thought for a moment. I have never heard nor seen such a thing. Where do they come from? Talia looked at the floor. They come from the caverns on the Isle of Sida. Their presence can mean only one thing. All the evil power of Lucius has been unleashed upon Erethrae. The last few years in Erethrae had been tremendously difficult for the Knights of the Prince, but Talia seemed to indicate that it was only the beginning. The years ahead will be the darkest the kingdom has ever seen. Talia looked up at me. We can be grateful to the king and the prince that we are not there. Bewildered, I looked at Talia. I did not like a mystery and she most certainly was one. Who are you, my lady? I am Talia. Who are you, sir? She replied tersely. I am sorry for the frankness of my question, my lady, I said, but your skill, your understanding, and your attire are uncommon. Is that an insult or an observation, sir? Above all, my lady, it is not an insult. It is an observation and a compliment to one who has stirred my curiosity, dare I say, beyond the bounds of appropriate questioning. Please forgive me. Talia raised an eyebrow and overwhelmed me once again with her delightful eyes. I felt my cheeks flush, and I wanted to leave but I also wanted to stay. Were it not for the mystery of her presence, I would have departed to spare myself the strangeness I felt within. Well, what do you want to know, Sir Cedric? Talia asked. I peered into her face. It would be selfish and unfair of me not to offer answers to your questions first, if you have any. I have none, she replied matter-of-factly. I was oddly offended, since either I was not worthy of her asking, or she knew much more than about me than I imagined. I chose to believe the latter. Very well, Lady Tilio. Which region of Erethrae are you from? I am not. She said, rather seeming to enjoy the fullness of my perplexed look. You are not? She smiled. I 
am not from any region in Erethrae. Then you are from many regions? She thought for a moment. I am not. I found myself quickly becoming frustrated with this pretty and uncommon lady. I was not used to being played. With any other lady, I might think she was flirting. But there was enough mystery and genuine hesitation in Talia's willingness to give answers that I knew this was not the case. Then you cannot be from a retray, I said, trying to reason this through. But all men and women are from a retray. A strange thought entered my mind. Are you a... I almost could not say it. Silent warrior? If she was a silent warrior, she was unique indeed. She gazed into my bewildered eyes. I am not. Lady Talia, you say you're not from Erethrae. You say you're not a silent warrior. You know things of which I have not heard. You are obviously very skilled with the use of a sword. I am afraid you are more of a mystery to me now than before, I said. All clear, came a shout from the main deck. Talia began to rise. I quickly stood and offered my hand to help her, but she pretended not to see it. Will you tell me who you are, Lady Talia? I asked. She positioned her sword and straightened her cape. Perhaps. She said with a slight smile and moved past me to the hatch that led to the main deck. I have never felt quite so disregarded in all my life. I often found it uncomfortable to be in the presence of a lady when polite conversation was required, but this was different. Talia was more warrior than lady, and yet she moved between both roles so gracefully that I found myself in a social quandary. I intended to avoid much future interaction simply to prevent the feelings of awkwardness that come with an inadequate repertoire of social graces. I almost believed it possible to do so, but a corner of my mind would not rest with the mystery of Talia so brazenly unsolved. All right, kiddos, I'm going to stop there. We'll just ease our way into this book here. We'll be ready for chapter two, which is called The Welcome. And I love you kiddos very much. Tonight was the night of the talent show. Um, Sonia, mommy sent me a video of you singing. It was very beautiful. Wonderful job, sweetie. And Garrison, you did an amazing job following that song and whistling to it. I mean, that was super cool. I'm really happy for you kids doing your routines in the talent show. That's great. I'm super happy you guys did that. So, yeah, way to go. And I'm very proud of you. 
Very proud of you both. All right. I love all you kids very much. And I uh, hope you all have a good night. Get some good sleep. And we'll get some ch chapters knocked out tomorrow. But I'm really tired. And I need to go to bed before I start talking like Hank falling asleep. So, hope you have a great day tomorrow. I love you all very much. And I'll catch you later. Night-night. Come.